How's your week thus far? Can't really be asked. Yeah, it's that kind of like end of summer, nights are rolling in. I just can't be fucked at the moment, <laughs> frankly. We're the opposite. We've got flowers coming up in the garden, daffodils. Oh, lovely. Spring is in the it air. It is indeed in the air. Our rhubarb's popping up again. I beg your pardon? <laughs> That's a challenging euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Pop your rhubarb up. <laughs> Smother it in custard. Oh, yes. Stew your rhubarb in the pot, huh? You know what I'm saying? I do, I do. Hey, Mm. hey, hey. Pour a bit of sugar on your rhubarb and let it simmer. Mm. Hey, wink, wink. Ooh, nice and a crumble, isn't it, missus? Ooh, cover your rhubarb in crumble, will you? Ooh, warm it up the next day. (laughs) Wouldn't you, sir? Oh, I say. Put a lid on it, keep the flies off. Mm. Oh, I bet you will. Suits you, sir. I bet you will, (laughs) sir. (laughs) That's a really childish giggle from your end. Such a childish giggle. Oh, Hello and welcome to another episode of That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Say hello, Tom. Hello, yes, that's I. That's me, me, I, I, me. And I, me, I, me, Sam, uh, discuss history topics on a theme each week. The topic is prepared a week in advance, but everything else is a surprise. There's lots of bad jokes. Lots of swearing and some terrible accents. There haven't been many terrible accents for a while. Uh, but, That's true. Um, who, who knows? Today might be that day. Yeah, well, we are doing the Silk Route, aren't we? Which went through numerous countries. It did. It went through yeah, lots of countries. And I do a fantastic Uzbekistani accent. Perfect. Uh, so <laughs> I might pull that one out. My Armenian is right up there, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to that. Uh, we are, by the way, discussing the Silk Road as in the ancient trading route, uh, not the less ancient dark web drug dealing website. Yes, the Silk Road. We've actually talked about a number of topics in the past, haven't we, that could quite easily have fallen under the heading or the, the Silk Road week. Yes, we have. Just the last couple of weeks. We've talked about... What have we talked about? Journey to the West. That's right. A.K.A. Monkey. You talked about the strange flowering sheep thing. Yeah, absolutely. That was a legend that travelled the Silk Road. There's been a few others. I know there's been a few others. Yeah, I mean, we should probably say a couple of words on what the Silk Road actually is, was. Kind of is again, actually, now. Just uh, in case any of the audience don't know about it, it was an ancient trading route or kind of network of trading routes that started up. It really kind of started up in the first couple of hundred years BC and was the major trading route between Europe and the Far East. It was used by everyone from the Romans to the Byzantines and really lasted one way or another up until about the 13th, 14th century when it all went peak-tong in Europe and Asia and and the Mongols came in and things like that. And then it was closed for a few hundred years and never really got back to its original power. But there were huge cities and kingdoms and even full-on empires built along this massive trade route. Bizarrely, I think the Mongols actually opened it up briefly, didn't they? Oh, they actually, they expanded conquering it. so much yeah. land. <laughs> and then I think, was it after the, after the Mongol Empire sort of shrank a wee bit, it sort of closed up a tad? Yeah, it was kind of around the time of the Golden Horde that it became too basically too dangerous to travel and started to cave right. in on itself a little bit. And was was reopened for a while. There was a lot of um, trade between bits of it between you know India and China and things like that. So certain parts of the route were reopened, and it's just started to come back into use again now as a railway network. Oh, is that right? And it's very important not only for the the transport of goods and the sharing of goods. 
but also very important for the spreading of ideas. Yes, absolutely. So, um, good example. We've touched. We've talked about Odorica Pordenone. If we're talking about early medieval travellers from Europe into Asia, you've got people like Odorica Pordoni, Marco Polo, William of Rubruck. Yeah. So lots of these famous travellers were using the Silk Road as, as their way to explore new lands. We are going to be discussing one of them today, actually. Oh, which one are you discussing? Not to give too much away, but I'm going to give... Fuck it, I'll give you his name. I'm discussing Raban Barsorma. Oh, I've not heard of him. I've not well, heard of that chap. that's because he went east to west. He's the anti-Marco Polo, the opposite. Ah. Olop Akom. <laughs> Whatever Marco Polo is backwards. Oh, right, I see what you were doing. <laughs> I thought you were no, having a fit. I wasn't I was having about, a fit. I was about to call an ambulance. <laughs> no, you know if I'm having a fit because I'll start referencing 90s TV programmes. We've been through this before. Is it a, <laughs> fit? Is it a 90s TV programme? Yeah. It's our classic game. <laughs> Bodger and badger, bodger and badger. Are you all right, Sam? Sam, are you all right? If I start shouting, everybody loves mashed potatoes. <laughs> Could well be having an episode. We won't explain that one. We'll just leave that. <laughs> you, know, you can Google it yourselves, kids. Up until that point, we were actually sounding like we were talking about history with some degree of enthusiasm, weren't we? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? Weird. Weird. I'm not like I'm not sure I like where this is going. No. Oh, Let's get it back on track. What rhymes with cock? I don't know. Sock Tom. Socks made of silk. <laughs> right. We we got to flip something. Have you got Have you got something silky to flip? Like I don't know. One of your night outfits. Your nighty. Have you got a silky nighty? <laughs> Do you know what? I don't, unfortunately. No, I prefer a more absorbent material. <laughs> my nightwear. <laughs> I do apologise. My mother listens to this podcast. What have I got? Does she? I, th- <laughs> I think she stopped after a while. There were too many okay. awkward conversations. What do I have? What do I have? What do I have? Mater- maternal loyalty had its limits. <laughs> well, quite. I don't have anything silk. So I what I do either. have, the closest I've got is a receipt a for some dry jumper. cleaning. <laughs> yeah. You can't flip a woolly jumper, Tom. Do you want the do you want the woolly side or the woolly side? That's not going to work, is it? You twat. Right. Do you want the side that's got some dry cleaning written on it or the side that is blank? What is this? Sorry, this is a, a, it's a, a receipt dry for some dry receipt. cleaning, which is the closest to silk I can get. Okay, I see where you're going there. I'll go for the side that's that's blank. Okay. Uh, actually, you win again, Tom. You're on a oh, streak. fuck me. Bow, bow, bow. That's about five in a row. It is about five in a row. Right, I think I'm going to go first. Go on, then. I'm talking about the Lost Legions of Carhe. Now, how good is that as a name? The Lost Legions of Carhe. A whoppingly good name for a topic. That is a great name. It sounds very much like a Dungeons & Dragons game as well. Yeah, or a chapter in Game of Thrones or yes. something like that. Lost Legions of Carhe. So last week I was very, very brave. Um, I was a very, very brave boy. And I looked into Japanese and Chinese history. Yes. Which was very much out of my comfort zone. That was very big of you, Tom, given that the topic was Japan. Yes, <laughs> well yes, done, absolutely. you. I, yeah, for, 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 for reference, <laughs> I'm not lumping chi- China and Japan together in some sort of ignorant geographical Well, they kind of look the same, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking look the same. The yellow me, people. Poor <laughs> <laughs> all the fucking shame, don't they? Well, the same, not like us Europeans, Tom. No, it couldn't be more different. <laughs> no, 
fucking Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, what are these, you know? Anyway. <laughs> all, right, all right, Bernard Manning. <laughs> Prince Philip over here. My mother-in-law. So I went very much out of my comfort zone, but I'm back into my fun zone this week. Not my groin. <laughs> Woof. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone would ever accuse that of being the fun zone, Tom. <laughs> oh, well, you've obviously never been there, Sam. <laughs> Possibly the fungal zone. Am I right, ladies? Am I right? <laughs> what a great stripper I would make. <laughs> hey, girls. I'm such a fun guy to be with. Hey. <laughs> so I'm back in my comfort zone this week. I'm going Roman, albeit Romans in China. So a bit of cultural fusion going on Ooh. here. A bit of, yeah, noodles on a pizza. Bolognese in a wok. Um, <laughs> that's where we're going here. Cultural fusion. So back in my comfort zone this week, I've got classics and battles and people getting lost. Disasters and murder. Death and destruction. Killing and sorrow and Latin Plutarch. These are a few of my favourite things, Sam. They um, are a few of your favourite things. There. I thought that was the song you were going for until halfway through when it lost all tune. And then you re- <laughs> you got it back how, at the end. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you accuse me of, of having no tone? So, the Lost Legions of Kahe. Um, let's give you a bit of background. Now, we touched on the first triumvirate a few weeks ago. The first triumvirate was an alliance between three major politicians in the late Roman Republic, which was the first century BC. So, I'll introduce the three of them, like Russell Crowe. So, uh, was Russell Crowe one of them? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Nor was Jason Donovan. <laughs> the only other Australian actor I could think of. Um, Hugh Jackman. Huge, yeah, Hugh Jackman. That was that would have been a better option, wouldn't Jason it? Jason Donovan. Fuck's sake! <laughs> I like this triumvirate of Australian actors we've got here. Yeah, Russell Crowe, Jason Donovan. And Hugh Jackman. Who's going to run off with Kylie Petra? God, God, nice. (laughs) See what he did there. (laughs) Lovely. Right, so, anyway, Russell Crowe. Gaius Julius Caesar, commander of the armies of the north, father of a married daughter. Uh, And he was actually the father of a married daughter. His daughter married one of the other people in the triumvirate. So, Caesar... Awkward. Well, no, alliance building... Well, it usually is, isn't it? Well, when it comes often, to yeah. the higher echelons of politics. So Julius Caesar, he was a very <laughs> successful general. Everyone's familiar with his name. He had had a lot of military successes in Gaul and controlled this area of the empire as part of this triumvirate. And his daughter was married to Aeneas Pompeius Magnus, better known as Pompey. Pompey? Pompey? Talking of Pompey or Pompey, uh, hilarious Italian mistake, which is very easy to make, is the word Pompini in Italian, depending on how, more or less how you pronounce it, uh, can mean either fireman or blowjob. So Ooh. do be careful on your holidays. Yeah, absolutely. You might get the wrong helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> the wrong the wrong hose. <laughs> oh, God, imagine, imagine that if your house were burning down. <laughs> we, we put the fire out, but at what cost? <laughs> Right. Um, yes, so, uh, Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, commander of the armies of the West, defeater of Spartacus. So, Pompey was an incredibly successful military general as well. He took control of Spain 
And then we have the third chap, Marcus Licinius Crassus, commander of the armies of the East. Fucking wealthy bastard. Indeed. He will get richer in this life or the next. Um, so Crassus was <laughs> militarily done. less proven than the other two, but he was the richest man in Rome. Jingle jangle. He took control over the eastern extent of the empire, so Asia Minor, Syria and Egypt. So the three of them in this informal arrangement kind of split up the empire between them. Eventually they fell out. Crassus died, which I'll come on to, and Pompey and Caesar fell out. Caesar then decided to march on Rome, which is where we touched on this topic a few weeks ago. He's assassinated, as we know, on the Ides of March, and the whole episode is a major step in the evolution of the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. That's a good summary. Do you like that? Yeah. Excellent. Right. Now, we're going to talk more about Crassus, the, the rich one. Oh, Crassus, he's got all the money. He's Mr. Moneybags, Crassus. Loads of money. So, he was loaded. He had a Bentley, a fur toga, he had his sovereign rings, he had a leopard skin, uh, top hat, diamond-encrusted staff, you know, his designer sandals, and his uh, his wife had a lovely pair of marble busts, Sam. He had the <laughs> lot. <laughs> he had a lot on Crassus. He was loaded. He was. I like to imagine him as kind of one of these uh, Arab sheikhs, you mm. know, with a solid gold Lamborghini. Yes, 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 yeah that, he, yeah, that he drives at excessive speeds on that open highways in the UAE. Yes. Crassus it seems to have had a slight chip on his shoulder that he hadn't had the same military successes as Caesar and Pompey, although he was a key man in the defeat of Spartacus, which was about oh, 10 years earlier, I think. He set his targets on Parthia, so he was hoping to get some military victories under his belt in Parthia. Now, Parthia was an empire that stretched across, roughly speaking, uh, the modern countries of Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and a few of the other stands. So that part of the world. Very, very big empire. Yeah, it would it would have been very big. Not one to dick around with. <laughs> no, no. And it would have been... It's also in that difficult territory, isn't it? As the Russians know, the British know, the Americans know... Difficult to take control over of Afghanistan. And there was a war. So when Crassus was starting to eye up Parthia, there was a war of succession in Parthia between two sons of a king that they actually murdered, a chap called Arodes and Mithridates. And Rome was looking to interfere to um, make sure that a leader... Uh, that whoever became leader was going to be closely allied with Rome, as is always the case in these sort of political episodes. Uh, the Romans, yeah, unfortunately... Yeah, still happens today, doesn't it, in well, the Middle East? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And they chose the wrong sides. So Mithridates um, was eventually killed by Rhodes, and it was Mithridates who the Romans sided with. A Rhodes secures the loyalty of the Armenian king, who's one of their neighbouring countries, who had been allied with Rome. And so Crassus decides to get stuck into the Parthians. In 55 BC, Crassus arrives in the east and builds an army of seven legions, that's around 35,000 men, 4,000 light infantry and 1,000 Gallic infantry under the command of his son who brought them across from Gaul where he had been serving under Caesar. Pretty big force. Yeah. That's a pretty large so about force. About 45,000 people. It's about 40,000 men, a very, very big army. But he's quite quickly outmaneuvered by Rhodes's general, a chap called Serena. And not Serena Williams. That's a different person altogether. She's a tennis player. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. And I thought the name sounded familiar. Yeah, interestingly, she has a sister called Venus Williams. Totally unrelated to this general. And indeed to the goddess Venus. Or the goddess Venus. Or the Gillette Venus Razor. Or the part of your body called the penis. All completely unrelated. 
Ah, fascinating, isn't it, how things can be unrelated? <laughs> yeah. Also, not very similar to a bucket or a rock. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to think. My chair is very, very different to the moon. Amazing. So, a pitch battle is teed up, and the Parthians only have 9,000 horse archers and about 1,000 cataphracts, which were heavy, heavy cavalry. It sounds like the battle that ensued was actually rather comical. And, you know, we know there's nothing funnier than people being died in mass melees. People being died? Did I say that? You did. What a fantastic sentence formulation you have, Tom. (laughs) And tell me, Tom, what colour were they dyed in the heat of battle? Uh, A lovely shade of purple. (laughs) Oh, how regal. (laughs) Orange! Rainbow (laughs) colours. Every line of infantry was a slightly different shade of Roy G. Bib. <laughs> as a rainbow army. So it sounds like... Roman pride. <laughs> anyway, so this battle at Carhe sounds rather comical. So what was happening was the Roman army got set up in its formation, a very infantry-heavy army, and the Parthians, who the Romans had underestimated, they thought they were just some barbaric empire that weren't going to be very good in battle had some very well-trained horse archers so their horse archers would run in they would run in did i say that as well <laughs> where we're going marty we don't need horses no, no, <laughs> well, the horses well the horses were some... parthian as well so i was actually just referring to the horses the horses went running in horses don't run they very kindly very gallop no they, they don't they run him. don't they a horse runs i've seen a horse run on its two legs. <laughs> oh, I've only had half this beer. No, I've had most of the beer. That probably explains a couple of the errors I've made. <laughs> so, let me start again. Let me start again. Well, not, not, not that you're going to be sympathetic. Nope. No, I was about to say, not that you're going to be sympathetic <laughs> with the editing. So, uh, so the, the Roman infantry are in formation and the Parthian cavalry archers gallop towards the Roman lines, uh, led off their arrows... And the Romans get a bit of a peppering and decide, oh, okay, we're we're under fire with lots of lots of archers. We're going to get into our our tortoise position, our, our tortoise our formation. <laughs> tortoise position. <laughs> well, that's what it translates as, doesn't it? It it translates yeah. as tortoise, doesn't it? The testudo formation. Uh, yes, I, I was thinking more position rather than formation. <laughs> Sexual position, the tortoise. Oh right, you're going down an <laughs> amphibian karma sutra route. I, I was indeed. <laughs> mm, yeah, what would a tortoise look like while it's having sex? Lying on your back, kicking your legs in the air, I suspect. Where on earth was anyway. I? Anyway. So, yes, uh, th- yes. where the fuck was I? Uh, where am I? What what year is it? Who's the president? Yes, so, horse archers would come in. The Romans would then <laughs> Sorry, form... Sorry, I'm going to let you talk now, because I'm just... You're putting me <laughs> just off. deliberately being difficult. obstructive. <laughs> so they formed their testudos... Then the archers would retreat, and then the cataphracts would come in and smash the testudos. And the Romans would go, fuck, let's go back into our previous formation. At which point, the horse archers would come back in again and pepper them with with arrows. And then the Romans would go, oh, fuck, quick, get the shields over our head. Testudo. And then the cataphracts would come in and smash them. So it was just a toing and froing where the Romans just got repeatedly smashed by various different people on, on horseback. Anyway, the end result was the Romans just got a kick in. Crassus was actually killed afterwards during a negotiation with the Parthians. 
the sources suggest one of the Parthians pulled down on the reins of his horse and a bit of a scuffle broke out and the Parthians just killed all the Romans meeting for negotiations. Solid negotiation tactic. Yeah, absolutely. Kill them all. Take no prisoners. 20,000 Romans were killed at this battle. Probably 10,000 were captured. Now, you're probably wondering at this point, Sam, how the fuck is this related to the Silk Road? Has that crossed your mind yet? No, I'm just enjoying the ride. Oh, excellent. Good. Well, it will. The dots will be connected up shortly. Crassus was actually beheaded and supposedly the Parthians poured molten gold down what remained of his neck. That is very Game of Thrones, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, presumably. I mean, I wonder what would happen when his body decomposed around it. Would there be some sort of strange... Ooh, yeah, it'll be like... Golden um, sculpture. Yeah, it'll be like when people pour aluminium down an anthill. Yes, that's right, yeah. And you get those beautiful casts. Yeah, yeah. That'd be very artistic. I'd like to see that. Then it just requires sacrificing someone. And you get a lovely gold cast of their digestive system. Who wouldn't want that on a plinth? <laughs> Talk about a golden ring, Tom. Talk about a golden ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On Rhodes, so this was the king of the Parthians, in the aftermath of the battle, actually searched through the Roman captors to find the Roman who most resembled Crassus. And then that soldier was made to dress up as a lady and he was paraded through Parthia the following year for everyone to see. What a strange (laughs) thing to do. That is a strange thing to do, isn't it? Mind you, dressing people up as ladies has come up before as well, hasn't it? It has indeed. Because that was the Roman punishment that was given to secret Christians. That's right. In the Roman army. I would personally would much prefer to be dressed up as a lady for a year than to have molten gold poured down my decapitated neck. I don't know about you. Yes, but his punishment was purely on the basis that he looked a bit like Crassus. <laughs> there are worse crimes than being a looky-likey. <laughs> being a looky-likey, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Crassus at this point was about 60 years old as well. So I think they'd have been hard-pressed to find an infantryman who was 60. Yes. I can just imagine a Rhodes in this situation laughing heartily at his jape whilst all those people around him just think it's not funny. And yeah. he's busy going, Oh, and what we will do is we will make him... Dress as a lady and parade him through all the towns of Parthia. It will be hilarious. Ha 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 ha. Why are you not laughing? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Good one, Rhodes. Excellent. Look, he's a man dressed as a lady. That's funny, isn't it? Because usually men dress like men. Yes. See what I've done? Unless they're in plays. In which case, men dress as ladies. But this isn't a play. Which is why it's, it's just funny. Com- it's just comedy gold. <laughs> you know, and you know what? He looks just like that chap we beat in battle. How humiliating! Yes. Ha ha ha! <clears throat> a very good one, Rhodes. It's very, very good. Yes, very, very amusing, Jake. <laughs> we can't bring the original one along because we cut his head off, and then we turned his bum to gold. <laughs> Do you reckon they they turned his decapitated body upside down, rested it on his shoulders, opened his legs and poured it down his bum? Is this what you're implying, Sam? (laughs) I mean, I didn't go that far. (laughs) I didn't didn't create quite such a graphic mental image. I was going to say, it's a very morbid image. (laughs) Yes. As opposed to the image of it being poured down his decapitated gullet. (laughs) When in Rome, so to speak, or not. Yeah, when, when in Parthia. I didn't give it that much thought, I'll be brutally honest. Uh, but thank you for planting that in my head. <laughs> He's the one. 
The one with the golden bum. <laughs> That's my bestest Shirley Bassey impression. That was a superbest Shirley Bassey. Yep, I stood up. That was you at your bassiest. <laughs> hey, I'm very good. Uh, very good, very good. Anyway, right, let's move now on to the Silk Route connection. So, the 10,000 Romans who were captured were reportedly transferred to a town called Alexandria Margiana, now known as Merv, weirdly, which sounds like an Australian cricketer, Merv. <laughs> it does. Uh, which is in Turkmenistan, on the eastern border of what was the Parthian Empire. This was something the Parthians did quite often, captured soldiers would be transferred as far away from their their homeland as possible and made to work as it wouldn't be a mercenary so much because they were kind of captured but they they were made to they were made to fight for the parthians as far from their homeland as possible and this town was actually this town merv was actually a very very important town on the silk route it has been hypothesized by a university of oxford academic in the 1940s a chap called homer h dubs which i think sounds like an excellent trance dj's name uh, and he hypothesised that these Romans ended up journeying further east into China, basically along the Silk Route again. Yeah. So after being border soldiers for the Parthians, it is theorised by this academic that the Romans became mercenaries fighting for a nomadic confederacy based in Mongolia. Some people would refer to them as Huns, but it was basically a confederacy of steppe people that were bothering the Han dynasty of China. Yeah. I mean, that really is a very long way from home, isn't it? This is quite a, a a controversial theory. After these Romans had fought for Parthia, um, it seems as if some of them became mercenaries for this Mongolian confederacy and actually fought against the Han dynasty at a battle called the Battle of Zizi in 36 BC, which was in modern southern Kazakhstan. And again, according yeah. to the theory, the Chinese were very impressed by these soldiers that they made them their own mercenaries after the after a victory in this battle and homer h dub cites a chinese chronicler's reference to a fish scale formation used against the han dynasty's archers at this battle which is possibly a reference to a testudo interesting that tortoise formation the romans again this is all according to the theory eventually founded a town called liquan in China, which apparently sounds a lot like Legion in Chinese. And that's kind of where they ended up. So they ended up going along the Silk Route as mercenaries, first being transferred by the Parthians, then fighting as mercenaries, and then thirdly, fighting for the Han Dynasty. And they eventually settled at this place called Liquan in China. This town in China seems to be very proud of its heritage, so it plays up on this for, for reasons of tourism the fact that they could be descended from Romans. And genetic tests have been done on the people of this town, and they've been very inconclusive. And because they're inconclusive, it basically suggests this story doesn't really make sense. Hmm. But there are some noticeable facial features that are quite common amongst these these people in this area of China. So a lot of them have quite long, big, long Roman noses, for example. Interesting. But another thing that kind of goes against this theory is there's no archaeological evidence for it. No Roman coins have been found, no Roman armour has been found, for example. So it is it is a very controversial theory that, that most modern historians would dismiss as just having too many too many flaws, too many gaps in, in the evidence, but nonetheless a very interesting one. I like the thought of this legion of 10,000 yes. Romans getting right into the centre of China. That's a, That would be incredible. 
I mean, because I've just looked up where Li Kuan is, and actually it really is a long way into China. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's very, very far into China. I mean, I could, I could believe that that sort of thing would have happened. We know that goods were passed along the Silk Route. There was absolutely no reason why people couldn't have gone all the way along the Silk Route. Absolutely. In fact, well, they did, because the, the Chinese were, were quite familiar with the Roman Empire and even received a couple of embassies from Rome. Yep. So people did make it along. Yep, absolutely. The evidence we have from these sort of travels is, is very, very limited. We You don't have literary records of every single person who managed to travel all the way to China. Um, so there would have been a, surely a lot of people who actually managed it. And so I, I could definitely believe that some Roman soldiers managed to get all the way into China. So there you have it. That is the story ah. of the Lost Legions of Carhae. Interestingly, when I was in China, the beer that we were drinking was Liquan beer ah. from Liquan. Were the, were there it was Roman... bloody awful. <laughs> were there Roman symbols on the bottle? Uh, you, well, it was written in the Latin alphabet. That's about as close as it gets. Yeah, that was as close as I could see. What you... yeah. No, it was dreadful beer, appalling beer, but it was cheap. <laughs> so... There it we made go. Up for it. it made up for the <laughs> fact that it tasted foul. <laughs> yes. Because it was so cheap, you could have 10 of them and really enjoy how foul it was. <laughs> no, genuinely. That was, that, was like a, that was our thought process. That's amazing. That, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of extremely impressed that of these 10,000, they, they still made it as kind of a united fighting force all the way across the world over the course of what must have been quite a few years. Well, this is, well, this is they were still basically flaw. a functional legion by the time they got to the end. Yeah, well, this is another flaw in the theory, is by the time they got to the Battle of Zizi, they would have been in their 50s and 60s. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, I know but this if is... they hadn't been in their sixties to begin with, a la the crasses <laughs> lookalike, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who actually got a pretty sweet deal out of this? He got to stay more or less at home. And probably was wearing some lovely clothes, wasn't he? Some lovely Indeed. ladies' clothes. He may well have enjoyed it. The Parthians were very well known for their silks. A Rhodes may have been looking through all these Roman, all these Roman infantrymen, trying to find the one that looked most look, looked most like Crassus, and he was probably at the back there jumping up with his hand in the air. I look like him, and I love dresses. I'll do it. Me. It's me. Me. I'll do it. Look. Talking of the Romans and silk, the Romans actually tried to ban Chinese silk, or Rome did, because they claimed that it was immodest and you could see all of it. You could see everything. You could see the nipples and everything through it, Tom. But it's actually believed that the Roman elite was so keen on Chinese silk, which obviously was being imported over thousands of miles on the back of camels and donkeys and what have you, that actually it was causing a literal currency shortage in Rome because rich people were spending all of their fucking money on Chinese silk. Give me your silk. I don't care what it costs. Yeah, pretty Take much. My money. Pretty much. <laughs> which uh, and China was was buying nothing from Rome in return, uh, which sounds very much like how the first opium war started. Mm. Just replace silk with tea. <laughs> so what were, th- were these Chinese traders going back to China and saying, ah, I come back with useless currency? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well done, mate. Yeah, that was great. Really helpful. Yeah. Well, it was silver. The Chinese were always after silver. Were they? And so all of the silver currency ended up going off to uh, going off from Rome to China and from Britain to China. The, the, the import of tea caused a currency shortage in Britain. What's a magpie? Because all the British silver was ending, in, uh, ending up in China. But yes, and that was one of the reasons, actually, I think, why the Parthians were so, firstly, so important and so wealthy, but also so much of a thorn in the Roman side because they basically acted as middlemen and hooked up the prices on all Roman imports from Asia. Oh. Well, that wasn't... I mean, that was a major advantage, wasn't it, from being stationed on the Silk Route? Yes, is that you could basically charge an awful lot of money to anyone who passed through. Yeah, absolutely. A very strong position economically. 
indeed. Oh, that's really interesting, Tom. I like that. A completely unsubstantiated theory, but a very good yes, one. Yes, well, I think that's... The reason I thought it was justified is, A, because we like unsubstantiated stuff in this podcast. We do. And, B, it's... That's our bag. It's a very well-known one. Or not very, very well-known, but it's a reasonably well-known historical theory that has kind of been debunked. But it's a fun one. Yeah. Well, Tom, talking of travelling the Silk Road... You have done this, haven't you? You have travelled the Silk Road. Uh, do you know what? Actually, I have travelled quite a lot of the Silk Road, yes, for a documentary series that uh, never got finished, which I was a presenter on many, many years ago. It, it went tits up, didn't it? Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember you describing this to me. We were driving, so we were, we started... The idea was to do the tea the route along the old Silk Road, so we started in Calcutta in India, and we were driving in rickshaws in tuk-tuks. That's right. And the idea was to drive all the way back to the UK. And everything got delayed a little bit. And we managed to get these things up across the Karakoram Highway. So we got through India and Pakistan, all the way up through the mountains of Pakistan and drove these things. We actually had to push them because there was so little oxygen. The engines wouldn't run. Push them over the Himalayas into China, over the uh, world's highest border crossing. And then we drove through the Chinese deserts and the and Xinjiang province and into Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. So we did the, that much of the Silk Route. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely incredible. And the, the history around there and the wealth it used to be in the archaeological remains. Unbelievable. Astonishing. Superb. Beautiful part of the world. Quite troubled today, but Xinjiang, not a place to go as a tourist at the moment. No, it, it, I think it's quite brave at any, any point in the last 20 years to do that route, though, isn't it? I mean, going, just going through Pakistan alone probably wasn't fantastically safe, was it? Well, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, the Karakoram Highway area is reasonably safe. It's pretty safe. And once you get up into the north and kind of Gilgit and Chitral, which are uh, the people there are basically still Macedonians. They were kind of left as settlers by Alexander the Great and then cut off from the rest of the world for like a thousand years or so. And so there's still an awful lot of gingerhead people yeah, up in northern yeah. Pakistan with very Eastern European Macedonian features. I have heard that. Incredible yeah. place. Incredibly friendly and, and just beautiful, like wonderful part of the world. I absolutely love Pakistan. I had an amazing time there. But I'm, enough about me, Tom. I can't, I can't really talk about me for the entirety of my slot in this podcast, much as I'd like to. <laughs> Sorry, talking about your slot, did you say? <laughs> hey, no. No, I'm going to talk about someone else for a bit, Tom. Raban Barsorma, whose name, as per, I probably pronounced wrong. And the very odd story of the Mongol-French alliance. <laughs> did you know this, Tom? Did you know that the Mongol Empire and France had a brief alliance? When was this? Well, it was in the 13th century, and I will explain more... Anon, but a very strange alliance indeed. So, Bar Sorma, he was born in the year 1220 in Beijing, which by that time was already under Mongol rule. So the old Han Chinese dynasty had, had fallen about 15 uh, years beforehand and Beijing was under Mongol control. Bar Sorma was likely an Uyghur, which the people from Xinjiang in China, which we just talked about a moment ago, where they're currently being uh, quote-unquote re-educated, Slash genocided by the Chinese government. And they're Muslims there, aren't they, as well? They are Muslims, Muslim, yes. Yeah, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. These days, they're Muslims. Interestingly, as someone from Christchurch, which obviously recently had the terror attack on the Christchurch mosque, uh, there were so many donations made to that mosque and the other mosque. Uh, there were two mosques that were attacked. The people in high positions in the Muslim community decided to actually donate a lot of the money to the Uyghurs, of China to help them fight Chinese oppression. Yeah. They deserve it. <laughs> They're not having a great time, <laughs> has to be said. But yes, he was 
considered the Uyghurs were considered back in the day to be to be Mongol. So in Mongol society, the Uyghurs were actually relatively high profile and quite wealthy and trusted as traders and merchants with knowledge of the of the Silk Road. So he was doing fine for himself. Despite his family being quite wealthy, Barsorma lived a very simple life. He was very interested in religion from an early age. He was an Astorian Christian. So Christianity was quite popular in China and the Mongol Empire at this time. Already the Eastern yes. Church, the Persian Church, had, had spread quite quite successfully. Yeah, there were lots of Franciscans had uh, managed to get all the way to the Mongols, hadn't they? Yes, they had, yes. And uh, Genghis Khan had been interested in Christianity. He had. He'd actually, for a, for a brief period, he considered converting. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the Nestorian Church was the kind of the dominant church in the East at the time, obviously being the Eastern Church. And Barsorma was very much into his religion. He didn't really want anything else to do in life. So from the age of 20 until his mid-50s, he just potted around being a monk and a religious teacher and being really quite happy. The Mongols, as we said, were, were really pretty chilled and quite interested in Christianity. And during most of their Christian conquests, uh, namely the kingdoms of uh, Armenia and Georgia, the Christians had surrendered without a fight, had been pretty amenable to the Mongols, and so the Mongols are pretty much letting them do their own thing. And so at the age of about 50, Barsorma decided that really he should have a bit of an adventure in his life. And he decided that he would go on a pilgrimage with one of his students, Rabban Marcos, to Jerusalem. Now, Beijing to Jerusalem is a fucking long walk. That sounds like quite a long journey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I googled it, and as the crow flies, it's 7,150 kilometres. That's 4,400 miles from Tiananmen Square to the Temple Mount. I could walk it. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, a very, very, very long way. And a very difficult route as well. You had to pass through Mongol-controlled and war-torn China, through Central Asia, through all of the stands into Iran and Mesopotamia and through the desert to Jerusalem along the Silk Road. So you're passing crusaders, you're passing Muslims, you're passing rebels, thieves, robbers, local yeah. governments who dip their hands into your pockets. It was it was a really dangerous world tour, but a true world tour, an incredible adventure. But fortunately for these guys, there were two of them, and two people means you can get a pantomime horse outfit. Yes. And once you have a pantomime horse outfit and you pretend to be a horse... Sky's the limit. Do you know what? That's much more realistic than what I thought they might have done, which is to just get an enormously long trench coat and just pretend they're one incredibly tall person yeah. so no one messes with them. Yeah. Hello! Hello! I am Giant Biffkin, and I <laughs> wish to pass through your land. I have incredibly small hands for my height, I know. Much like Donald Trump. <laughs> But don't be fooled. With my enormous height, I can pick you up and throw you over the nearest mountain. Flick you with my quiff. <laughs> Blind you with my tan. <laughs> You're fired. We're going on the best tour, the greatest tour. Everybody says so. No one tours quite like Barsorma. <laughs> Everybody says it. <laughs> Huge tour. Etc, etc. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we don't know exactly when they left on this tour, and we don't really know how long it took, but off they did go. Uh, and they made it as far as Georgia before discovering that... They'd left the gas on. ...being very dangerous <laughs> times, so they'd left the gas on. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> they were naked. Christ alive! <laughs> 
Oh, I forgot my trousers. Realising they'd run out of clean pants. <laughs> <laughs> they'd skid mark their way to Georgia. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm skidding. Skidding my way to Georgia. <laughs> I thought you were going to do... Um, what's that song? Georgia on my mind. <laughs> you were always on my mind. Skid marks on my you mind. You were always on my mind. Skid marks all up my behind. <laughs> um, Maybe no, I nothing... never shouted. <laughs> quite as often <laughs> as I should. Little things, things that came out of my <laughs> bum. But I couldn't look behind. <laughs> Are there marks on my behind? <laughs> Are there marks on my behind? That was obviously the Pet Shop Boys version, obviously. Yeah, that was beautiful that was. and uh, somewhat stretching the theme. Yes, and, and listeners, that was completely off the cuff. You may not have... It was completely realized. off the cuff and down the leg. We didn't prepare that. Uh, <laughs> we did not off prepare the cuff, that at That's all. a long wiping motion, can tell. isn't it? <laughs> if you're getting it on the cuff... <laughs> Roll up your sleeves before you start. <laughs> I like to start around the elbow. <laughs> pull from there. <laughs> oh, God. No, to get very slowly back to the story, it wasn't sharting that had cut off their route, Tom. It was war. <laughs> so they found themselves stuck in Georgia with shitty asses. So instead of heading for Jerusalem, they headed for Baghdad, which had recently been conquered by the Mongols. And in true Mongol style, Baghdad, the, one of the capitals of the classical world, had been completely decimated, burned to the ground, and most of its inhabitants slaughtered. So as a sightseeing detour, there probably wasn't an awful lot to see in Baghdad. But after taking in the smouldering atmosphere and relaxing on the freshly salted earth, they did potter around the area for a bit, and they, they basically hung out in Mesopotamia for what turned out to be 15 years. 15 years they hanged about. In what was now designated by the Mongols as the Ilkhanate. Uh, the reason they couldn't go back is because, again, war had closed the route going one way. War had also closed the route going the other. The Golden Horde was starting to pour down through uh, what remained of the Mongol Empire, which was very rapidly fracturing, and it just became too dangerous to travel back along the Silk Road for, for the next 15 years. And it was a massive empire, wasn't it? Isn't it the largest land empire ever? Huge. Yep. Huge. It basically took in more or less all of Eurasia. Yeah, in incredible. With the exception of Western Europe. Almost impossible to maintain an empire of that size that grew so rapidly. Yes, well, it was. It collapsed almost immediately. I am now Googling the largest empires in history. Uh, obviously, <coughs> God bless the British have had the largest God empire in history. God bless the British empire. Thank you very much. One fifth of the world's surface. Yeah. Yes, my lord. Uh, around the year of 1920, uh, the Great British Empire was whopping. Yes, and the Mongol Empire is the second, but the largest continuous land empire. There we go. Don't get any points for being second, though, do you, Sam? You don't get any points for being second, Tom. You only get points for being the British Empire. God bless, God bless. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. Rule the Britannia, Britannia. Rule Oh, this is taking some time. Eventually, in 1266, <laughs> Bar Sorma and Rabban Marcos were approached by Patriarch Denher I of the Church of the East, who had just assumed the position of Nestorian leader after probably murdering the Bishop of Tus, which is a very Christian thing to have done, yeah. and was looking for support. 
he reckoned that these two, being of Mongol descent, were probably pretty good people to have on board. So he sent them back to the court of the Abka Khan, who was the newly crowned leader of the Ilkhanate, to speak for him. As a reward, uh, Balsama's travelling partner Marcos was made a bishop. Time went on and Bishop Marcos himself became the patriarch of the Eastern Church, uh, probably not by murdering anyone as far as I can see, and he decided to suggest Balsama, who by this stage was in his late 60s, would be fit for a bit of a trip. <laughs> Clearly had he'd gone off him in the intervening years, he was trying to get rid of him, frankly. Right. Now, the Mongols were well aware of Western European Christian kingdoms. But whilst the West was known about by the Mongols, they really hadn't traditionally cared. Too busy murdering. <laughs> Too busy murdering. They knew what lay up until about the Byzantine Empire, who they did most of their trade with with the West, but they weren't really interested in what was beyond. However, as the Mongols had spread further west, the knowledge of the Western European kingdoms and the opportunities that they presented became very, very clear. Because there was a problem. The Mongol Empire was collapsing and it was also being harried to the south and the west by the Muslim caliphates. And the Argun, who was in control of, uh, of Baghdad and Iran and Iraq, was in real trouble. He also knew that the kingdoms of Western Europe had been struggling with a series of absolutely disastrous crusades, launched partly to retake the Holy Land and partly as an effective way of getting rid of a very, very oversized, expensive, bored and quite rebellious class of knights. <laughs> but yeah, private school educated toffs who just wanted to fight. Yes, essentially. So Daddy, they were desperately Daddy, keen for Daddy, more Daddy, wars. why can't I fight? I want to Why fight. can't I have a castle? If I can't fight the Muslims, I'll fight the King of France. <laughs> I'm fed up of it. I'll bloody do it and all. I'm really annoyed. It's not fair. So yeah, so the Argon Khan had a plan, and that was a Mongol-European alliance to squeeze out the Muslims. A genius idea. And who better to send on this endeavour, Tom? Who better to go and present a military alliance to Europe than the elderly monk from China with no knowledge of Europe and a religious belief that was considered heretical by the people he was being sent to befriend. Yeah, and probably no language skills either. Yeah. <laughs> no, although we'll get to that, because something really interesting comes out of this in terms of language. Oh, he expressed himself in the medium of dance. Yes, he did. <laughs> so off Balsorma trotted in 1287. Boy, he move for 60 <laughs> I know, right? Oh, the moves. Well, he joined an OAP's tango class. <laughs> it's a very big fan of Strictly. <laughs> Dancing with the stars. Loved a Paso And in 1287, at the age of 67, he was sent off to Western Europe. Age 67, that's pretty old for the 13th century. Yeah, so he was well. already slightly over the hill. No offence to our older listeners, it's the golden it's age now. a wonderful advertisement for the cha-cha. <laughs> you said you were in a hurry. I know, I said that and I was giggling to myself quietly because I knew I was pissing you off. <laughs> <laughs> And so he waltzed off to Europe. <laughs> Long neck. Feather bower above his head. <laughs> yes. Gliding like a swan across the <laughs> desert. Singing Tom Jones to himself as he boogied along. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. In the style of a true pop star, he was given a huge retinue of supporters laden with gifts and offerings. This wasn't the first time that an alliance had been suggested between the Mongols and the Europeans. There'd actually been attempts from the 1240s. 
but it just hadn't worked out. Partly because what happens, Tom, when you take the pig-headed and power-hungry Western papacy and try and establish diplomatic relations with the pig-headed and power-hungry and famously frosty Mongols? Yeah, exactly. So what would happen is, and this was genuinely the diplomatic backwards and forwards that had been going on for 40 years by this point, was repeated offers by the papacy of an alliance in return for the Mongols converting to Catholicism and submitting as subjects of the Pope. (laughs) Which sounds like a pretty crappy and unlikely deal. And the Mongols replying that actually it would be far better if all of Western Europe bowed in submission to the Mongols and paid tribute to the Mongol Empire in return for becoming vassal states. So unsurprisingly, nothing had been signed up to in the intervening 40 years. I love the arrogance of the papacy. I know. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? In fact, the papacy would be a great theme for an episode. But the Europeans were pretty keen on the idea of an East-West alliance to decimate the Muslims, uh, partly because the Crusades were going really badly. And by this time, the story of Prester John, who we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, was already gaining popularity. It became widely believed that a great Christian king from the East would swing down and sort everything out in time of dire need. And there'd been a king who'd done just as the legends foretold, who had swept down and parted the sea of Islam as he kind of scythed through the East. The buttocks of Islam. Except this guy wasn't... (laughs) Parted the buttocks of Islam, yes. (laughs) Except this guy wasn't Christian. It was Genghis Khan. Who at least tolerated Christians, so he was close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Canal. I love a fatwa. (laughs) So anyway, as far as the Europeans were concerned, Genghis Genghis Khan was close enough to Prester John. Uh, And some actually did consider him the embodiment of Prester John, or at least a very passable substitute. So it was kind of in the spirit of wanting to work together, but not being able to work out who'd be in charge, that Barsormer set off to the west. He was accompanied by some Italian businessmen who were familiar with European diplomacy as well as a couple of translators. Although, and this is really, I genuinely thought this was really interesting, he did manage to speak in Persian with most of the European kings. Why did they speak Persian? Presumably uh, from their various experiences in the Crusades, but Persian seemed to be a language that everyone managed to get by in, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. He wrote down all of his travels and turned them into a book later on, so we know exactly what he saw and what he did. First travelled over the Black Sea to Constantinople, which he loved, particularly the Hagia Sophia, and then went on to Italy by ship. Whilst sailing around Sicily... Great tango scene. What? Frequenting the clubs of Istanbul. Oh, I see where you go. Yes, we're still on the dancing. Good, good. Carrying on... Purposefully ignoring you. You'll be able to do a dance joke in one second, Tom. Okay. While sailing around Sicily, he saw Mount Etna erupt in June 1287 and saw a naval battle between uh, James II of Sicily and Charles II, the French-born King of Naples. So unfortunately, whilst all this was happening, the Pope died. So whilst Sorma stopped in Rome to negotiate with the Cardinals, he couldn't really achieve much. Uh, And besides, he had to pretty quickly scarper when they started asking him far too many probing questions about Nestorian Christianity. He knew full well that he probably shouldn't discuss it too much because it would be considered very heretical. Although he did do a tour of the churches of Rome first, which was nice. He then travelled to Paris, Tom. And what did he have in Paris? Moulin Rouge. I was going to say, Tom. The last tango, but no, you you avoided the obvious joke. Oh, the last. Sorry. That that's fine. I, 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 sorry. There you go. You've let yourself I'm down. You've let the I team down. You've let myself. us all down. What's the last tango in Paris? Then? Is that a film? I don't. I don't know. It is. It's a film. Yeah, it's a film. Who's in that? Marlon Brando. Oh, Marlon Brando. Making people offers they can't refuse. Hey you. Hey you. Gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. You want alliance with the Mongols? <laughs> 
So yeah, he spent a month in Paris with King Philip the Fair, who was so keen on the idea of an alliance that he actually dispatched a couple of monks and a single nobleman to join Bowersorma and return to the East to establish proper diplomatic ties, which I bet that nobleman was fucking thrilled about, Yeah, Tom. great company. Long journey with a bunch of fucking monks. And you end up in Mongol-controlled Baghdad, which had quite recently been sacked. Yeah. The nobleman was apparently given a guard of one guy with a crossbow as well, which is a bit of an insulting guard of honour. So essentially, I assume, Philip really wanted him dead. Yeah, he didn't like this chap. No. So next, Barsoma travelled to Bordeaux, which was then in the hands of the English, and met with Edward I, who was equally keen on an alliance, but unfortunately couldn't commit to it because he was in the midst of fighting quite a lot in Scotland and Wales. This was just a, a, really just a couple of years before the first Scottish War of Independence. We cover so much history in this podcast, don't we? We do, don't We've we? We've talked about that as well. We have. Uh, so I find all of this really actually, actually quite lovely. You've got an elderly Chinese monk touring Europe on behalf of the Mongol Empire, sitting down with all of these kings and chatting in Persian with them and having a really lovely time. all the churches. Yeah. Even in the kind of the darkest period for international relations and, you know, kind of retraction of kingdoms and infighting and, you know, the, the middle of the worst period of European history, you've still got the world being an international place. You still have the Mongols sending out a diplomatic mission to England to try and get them to join in an alliance. Yeah. I love that. I think that's brilliant. Very good. By this point, there was a new pope in town, Nicholas VI, who invited him back to Rome for communion and gave him, I quite like this gift, a precious tiara Ooh. to give to his old friend and student, now leader of the Eastern Church, Marcos. Uh, because nothing says a manly, manly gift between religious figureheads like a bejeweled tiara, does yeah, it, Tom? Just, yeah, just a very delicate little thing. I think you're the belle of the ball. Yeah. To be fair, dancing costumery is very expensive. That's true. He probably valued that. He probably wanted it for himself. Absolutely. Damn straight. So in 1288, Balsorma, after uh, a year, 18 months in, in Europe, returned back to the East with gifts, letters and one very pissed off French nobleman. <laughs> with a crap crossbowman by his side. <laughs> Barry. Barry the crossbowman. Lean on the crossbow. Bing bong bong bing. Yeah, it ends up just Sorry. landing in the piece of ham he's trying to eat. <laughs> Whoops. Ah, uh, mon dieu, I have uh, the fingers de boire. Or as you say in English, the better fingers. <laughs> My apologies. I'm a very clumsy. <laughs> I am a terrible crossbowman. <laughs> Really? I do not know why the king chose me for this mission. You know what is <laughs> yeah. so funny? I've never even used this thing. Which way around does it go? I do not know. I have been using it as a toothpick. <laughs> yes. All uh, the king said was to point the pointy end towards the bad guys. And uh, pull the trigger. And uh, make the ping noise. And the arrow she flies so far. <laughs> and now, my good friend Basoma, we dance. <laughs> And the judges scores a six. Fuck you. I was going to get an accent at some point, and it certainly wasn't going to be a Chinese one. But anyway, the alliance, it has to be said, the alliance between the French and the Mongols very, very, very nearly happened. Nothing quite came about of it, but 
a part of a letter between the Khan and King Philip survives, suggesting that the Mongols would invade Egypt in the winter of 1290 with French support, and if they were successful, the French would keep Jerusalem and the Mongols would get Damascus. Mm. At the end of this letter, and I quote, if you care to, please give me your impression, so please let, let us know what you think of this idea, and I would also be very willing to accept any samples of French opulence that you might care to burden your messengers with. <laughs> Ooh. So, let me know what you think. Also, Please send presents. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love some cheese. Send me some wine and some cheese and please take back the fucking crossbowman. <laughs> <laughs> it's killed half of my retinue already by accident. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, as I said, nothing ever came of the alliance, but Barsorma's efforts did lay the groundwork for regular diplomatic missions and a huge amount more trade between the East and the West. He himself was finally allowed to retire, although he never did manage to return to China. He was either too old for the journey or it remained a bit too dangerous. So he lived out the rest of his days in Killed Bangdad. by the stench of the French cheeses that they had... <laughs> yeah, sorry, he was that they were hit taking. by an errant crossbow bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Combination of a crossbow bolt to the head and a... St- Dinking camembert that had been kept in his backpack for six months. Having tasted Central Asian cooking, <laughs> there are worse things that you can eat. Have you ever heard of kumis? No. It's a sort of cheese, sort of alcoholic spirit made from fermented mare's milk, which is very popular in, in Mongolia and other parts of Central Asia. Uh, it's essentially incredibly alcoholic cheese. It's about 40%. It's a bring-your-own-mug. You buy it from a big barrel by the side of the road where some nomad's making it. And it is... Fucking awful. I mean, I have never tasted anything as foul as kumis. It puts hairs on the hairs on your chest. It puts hairs in your fucking tongue. Is it stomachable, if that is a word? Or does it just do you just want to retch it back up again? No, you. Well, I couldn't even swallow it. I had to. I had to spit it out. I couldn't get it down me. Oh, God, unbelievably salty and sour and alcoholic. It's grim. Sounds like a Scotsman. It's... <laughs> yeah. Would have been perfect with some shortbread. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Barsormen never made it home, but it did open up East and Western trade. Interesting side note, just before I finish, whilst the European kings and the Mongols were very keen to work together, the Crusader kings absolutely hated them. <laughs> The Crusader kings actually viewed the Mongols as a much greater threat than the Muslims. In fact, there are even instances of the Crusaders and the Muslims signing non-aggression pacts in order to let a Muslim army slip through Egypt under the watch of the Crusaders in order to fight the Mongols. Mm. So there you go. But anyway, that's the story of Barsorma. Fantastic. Very (laughs) long-winded. What a place to go on holiday, though. France. I know, absolutely, right? I would happily go to France. I love France. France is, is France not one of the most visited places in the world for holidays? It's a very, very Certainly popular. by Chinese tourists it is, yes, now. Is that right? <laughs> so clearly, clearly a trailblazer. Yeah. Was he driving badly in a rental car as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was just in a coach. A giant coach. <laughs> with, a, with the fluorescent visor. <laughs> and a little flag on a stick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The tour guide's got the flag on the stick. Yep. Taking pictures of strange things like bins. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is excellent. What a lovely bin. Oh, an ice cream man's shoe. Excellent. <laughs> the Vatican's behind you, and you're taking a picture of an ice cream man's shoe. Of a bird shit on a pavement. <laughs> The Silk Road, Tom. The Silk Road. Thoroughly enjoyed that. I've enjoyed this one. I felt like this week's been relatively historical. Yeah, no, absolutely. I very, I very much enjoyed that. By our usual yeah. standards. It, it was reminding me of 
topic studied at university, Sam. Yeah, you you were bringing back yes. memories. I was listening to you and I was thinking, oh yes, I remember that. Oh yes, that I remember that as well. Very very good. Right, well, we should probably think of a topic for next week, shouldn't we? Yeah, what should we choose, Sam? I think at some point we should do the paper seat. I'm but... feeling something in my waters, Sam. <laughs> I so am I. It's almost like we haven't mm. planned this. <laughs> Should we do ships next week, Tom? What a good idea. What a good idea. What a good idea, because I'm going away for a little break and don't have much time to prepare, so I'm going to make it nice and easy and do ships. Ahoy, my laddie. Ahoy, my laddie. It's a chance for you to do a shipwreck, which we all know you love. Have a good shipwreck. And I can spin some silly nautical yarn. Fantastic. Yar. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Please do follow us on social media, by the way. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for That Was Genius or at That Was Genius and you, you should find us. Actually, on Twitter, it's that underscore was underscore genius. And do tell your friends about this podcast if you have enjoyed it. We would love to have more of you listening. We love the ones we've got. We'd love some more. Yes, absolutely. Have we had any listeners from strange places? No more strange places, no. But we're, we are a multinational crowd. We've got them from yeah, all over the world. Fantastic. But nothing as strange as the uh, 50 listeners from the UAE we had a couple of weeks ago. Have they hung around? No. <laughs> I suspect we're now banned in the UAE. <laughs> yeah, they were listening on the dark web. <laughs> yeah, they were. Right, well, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>